Welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very special guest. I have Major Lynette Falzone of the Fort Lauderdale Police Department. Hello, Lynette. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about what you do with the police department, a little bit of your background, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Okay. Uh, I've been with Fort Lauderdale Police Department for about 23 years. I'm currently the major in charge of investigations. So that includes our special investigations, which handles drugs and stuff like that. Also our criminal investigations and our violent crimes unit, which handles obviously deaths and homicides and things like that related to what you want to talk about. And I know you have um, two twins or you have one set of twins, um, a boy and a girl, correct? Yes, uh, a boy and a girl. That's awesome. He's all boy and she's all girl. And it's just fun to see the personalities in both of them. I remember I wanted to have twins. Twins runs in my family. I only have the one boy. He's five. But um, twins, I I heard that even though it seems overwhelming, but it's like at least you have two of them at the same time. And it's not like you have one that's like six and is like a newborn. You have two of them growing at the same time. So um um, I would imagine that it's a, a nice little dynamic to have, especially to have the boy and the girl at the same age. Yes, my mom calls it the, uh, she says, I always get more than I bargained for. She calls it my BOGO. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay, let's jump in. So criminal investigations, um, drugs, that's that's a lot. So the first question I have, and the reason why I wanted to do this conversation, because I am a mom, I am in Coral Springs, um, and I wanted to kind of also dispel, because I think a lot of times we do hear that things are getting worse or safety. So I wanted to kind of talk about where we are in that aspect. Are we safe and things that we should look for as parents, but also on the drug side of things. Um, fentanyl, opioid drug use, you know, you hear that it looks like candy, so kids have better access to it. Tell me how parents can talk to our kids. Um, I know we're, I, I came up in the D.A.R.E. program, right? The, uh, I think it was Drugs and Resistance Education, if I remember what the acronym for it was for that. What do parents need to know? What is going out there and what are, because we get inundated with so much information, what do parents need to be aware of? Uh, well, um, to your point, if you're safe, I, th- I think that we are safe in Broward County personally. Um, but there's always things going on, trends, scams, uh, synthetic drugs, you name it. There's always some type of threat to people. And oftentimes people target our children because, you know, they don't have the maturity to, to kind of see the forest through the trees. So, uh, as far as drugs are concerned, um, one of the most popular drugs right now, obviously, is fentanyl. It's because it's uh, coming through cheap. It's synthetic. Um, you know, in, in the city of Fort Lauderdale, we see several overdoses a day. Luckily, we have uh, naloxone, which is Narcan, on all the officers. And almost every day, an officer is Narcaning someone back to life and doing CPR. But uh, as far as uh, children are concerned, um, people are putting the fentanyl and 
marijuana. They're mixing with other things. Uh, like you said, they, they're pressing it into pills, making it look like maybe Adderall or ecstasy or something else that might be an attractive drug to a college-age student or a high schooler. Um, so you really just don't know what you're getting. And uh, it's, it can be extremely deadly. Uh, we've seen so many people die from it locally. And it's just so um, prevalent. And there's really no way to prevent, uh, you know, people aren't cooking it in their kitchen. It's not like yes. the cocaine days or something like that. So. And how, where are you seeing it? Or can we say like, where is a lot of the drugs coming from, you know, and, and why do they save, you know, South Florida, you know, for, for a position like you, if someone, how do you try and stop it? Or is it just one of those battles? Like you just have to continue education, informing parents. And I would imagine conversations with my own son as he gets older, because I tell people, I think I come, I, I think we come from the experimental age and I feel like our children are not going to be able to have that experimental age that kind of comes with as you growing up whether it's with alcohol whether you might try a little marijuana whatever that experimental thing is I feel like our children that generation will not have that because it can be a life or death situation because to your point I mean I hear the minute you can get fentanyl like you can die you can overdose that quickly right you hear a lot of, of those situations so I guess it's a two-part question of you know where is it coming from, if we know? Um, and number two, how really can we combat this? Uh, so, you know, like I said, it, there there is a synthetic version, which people, prior to it being on Front Street, people were just ordering it through the mail. And, uh, you know, it was coming from another country and, and things of that nature. So sure. it kind of replaced Flocka in that sense. But um, as far as uh, what we can do, so a few years ago, I was actually the captain in charge of the drug unit. And that's when people were just dropping off left and right. And I took these letters that these moms were sending to me saying, you know, I lost my child to drugs, you know, do something. And I took the letters to my group of uh, detectives who were all like these real tough SWAT dudes, you know, and uh, they read the letters and they they came up with a solution that they wanted to go to every death scene and work it as a drug case because the death part was not workable, like for homicide. And they actually did that in so many cases. And in one case, um, they actually, there was a, a drug trafficker who was targeting a sober home. Mm -hmm. And so this lady had shipped, this family had shipped their son down here, who's like 23, to get sober, right? And then you have a drug dealer giving them special deals and stuff to get them back hooked. And, uh, the detectives made a great case and they presented it and they actually charged a drug dealer with providing drugs that led to a death. It was the first one in Broward County. Wow. So we have a lot of uh, supply and demand in South Florida. We, we do have a big uh, treatment population here um, because up North and everything, you know, they take pretty pictures of palm trees and tell you, this is where your kid's going to go to recover and you believe them. Yeah. And, and, and in a lot of cases that's true. Right. But then there's a, a, a shadier side of that where there's kickbacks and there's all this like financial crimes going on with it. And uh, so anyways, getting back to, I was the captain of the drug unit and I said, well, who do we target? Is this homeless people dying? Is this young people, old, white, black? Who is it? And when I studied all the deaths that we had, I realized that it's everyone. It's young, old, rich, poor. It doesn't matter who you are. And so doing an educational campaign, like a targeted educational campaign wouldn't be practical. Uh, because you need to do it to every age, to sure. every population. And so 
we took that 360 approach. So we, we did education, we did enforcement stuff, and then uh, we are doing bigger enforcement things as far as things that are being imported and, and things of that nature. So that's kind of how we approach that problem. Um, and, you know, it is supply and demand. So uh, there are other states where different drugs are in, su there are in supply because that's what's demanded there. And for South Florida, we tend to take the trendy synthetics. You know, a lot of things get their birth here. So that's crazy. I remember hearing that, that, um, and I didn't realize that that was such a, the word is escaping me, but basically the precedent of saying that you actually targeted the drug dealers for homicide, right? Because in essence, that's what okay. they did where that had never happened before. Um, or at least, like you said, that was the, the first. So to, didn't even think of two, you know, one-on-one -on -one and equaling two in that aspect of saying that you could do that, I guess, in that way, then scaring off someone who would think, okay, well, if I'm going to sell this drug, wait, wait a minute, where before it was just a drug charge, now I can be hit with a homicide, I can be hit with a murder charge. I know um, I had mentioned that I had seen that there was like Operation Engage by the DEA. What programs maybe that you can specify for any parent listening to this that maybe they can get more information, or maybe if they do have a child that maybe has started some drug use and unfortunately, you know, is addicted. Are there programs that you feel comfortable saying that, yes, these are programs that actually help people? Well, there's a lot of things out there. Um, so specifically like for educational uh, seminars and things of that nature, uh, the Operation Engage was, I believe, through the DEA. Um, and then also United Way has a community response team, which is compiled of just everyone that wants to be a hand on deck to help with this problem. Um, so that meets monthly and they also put on webinars and seminars. Some of their seminars, they'll teach you how to use naloxone or Narcan in case maybe somebody is living with you that has a substance abuse issue and, you know, that you could save their life with that. Um, so there's a lot of different things out there. And, uh, to your comments about our curiosity that this generation's not yes. going to have, they're still going to have that. It's just, there's more of a threat, right? right. Yeah. Um, even the drugs that were the drugs that a lot of people got curious with in the 70s and 80s and 90s, if you were to measure the potency of the drugs that were out there then and the potency of the drugs that they're making now, um, even marijuana, it's the the potency now is just light years stronger than what was distributed back then. So while I think this generation will still have their curiosity, I think unfortunately, you know, it's going to result in more tragedy than it probably ever has. Yeah, and I think that's the ugly truth behind it, but I think it's so important. I mean, I've talked to parents and they're like, oh, I don't want to know. I don't want to hear. And I'm like, I get it. You know, I get it. I was like, but we have to know. We have to know how to have conversations with our kids and being real of saying, you know, your phone or if you're on a device, because that is, I guess, the next wave. Or like you said, that people can actually order drugs. Like that was mind boggling to me that I, I remember reading somewhere that it, they could order it on Snapchat and they think it looks like candy or it, you know, maybe it is a drug that they could get high. But to your point, it's laced with fentanyl. Um, I'm like, we have to have these conversations with our children. We have to let them know what's out there. Um, how can we, I guess, also stay abreast of information? So I know you mentioned, so let's say if I'm a parent and like, well, for instance, my son is five, right? But let's say I, I do want to know more. I don't want to necessarily be inundated with the news where, you know, in that where it's a, a case here and a high profile case here, but really have the information. I know you said that there's Operation Engage and United Way, but I guess, are there any other things that Broward County does or that Fort Lauderdale Police Departments or or I guess maybe it is just contacting our local police department that we could say, hey, getting more involved and saying, what what do I need to know of what's going on in my city? Would that be a way to go about it? Um, obviously, everything, 
you know, as far as uh, the data that's collected is public record. And there's so many grants tied to um, Narcan, Naloxone. So we do keep a lot of data, all the cities do. Uh, but what we found is uh, working with other agencies and we also meet with Fire Rescue Monthly. Mm. Basically, we try and take more of a global perspective of, you know, going to that meeting and what are you seeing in Hollywood? What are you seeing in Pompano? And kind of putting our heads together because what we're seeing in Fort Lauderdale, if it's not in Hollywood, it's coming there next, right? Or what they're seeing is going to come to us next. Sure. But kind of just monitoring trends that are uh, hitting locally. And then uh, one of the other things that we do just within our city, um, not on an educational piece, but our drug unit goes out and they do sample buys. So they'll go out to different areas and just randomly buy whatever they can buy, send it to the lab and then test it because we're trying to stay ahead of whatever the next synthetic is. Um, the, sure. the law was recently changed that the synthetics, so we can keep up with the synthetics because before the law had to specifically state that drug by its chemical compound for it to be uh, enforceable. So they've done good with some of the laws and things like that. Um, as far as the uh, educational piece, there, there's different, uh, like the United Way, you can subscribe to the community response team and you can watch what's going on there. Um, there's educational things that come out through the school board as well. And I think the biggest thing is if you talk to your kids is telling them not so much for them, but having a recognition. So if they recognize their friends doing something and, you know, you have to make your kids feel psychologically safe to tell you what's going on, right? You have to make them feel psychologically safe to know that they can tell you they need help, that they did something wrong, or that they don't understand something. So if something comes up, you need to make the environment to where they're willing to trust you as a parent and tell you, oh, my friend so-and-so I think is uh, doing X, Y, and Z. I got scared. I, I, I told him I, you know, I had to go or whatever. And then educating them on like the dangers, obviously, because it seems like a lot of kids don't understand the finality with death. Yes. So, um, and that goes for school violence as well, right? So left and right, these kids are using kill. And to me, that should be a four letter word, right? Uh, because when, when we were growing up, you'd never say the word kill. You would maybe threaten to beat up another kid or something like that. But um, now everything's like zero to 60 right away. So just educating your kids on what words are kind of off limits and uh, and what kind of actions are off limits. And if they're curious about something, you need to educate yourself on it so that you can educate them on it. And, you know, if they want to experiment with something and, you know, you as a parent, you have to make a decision how you're going to allow that to happen or not allow it. And then they're going to sneak it. So, um, you know, I, I've never tried drugs personally. My my father was a police officer. And so I only knew like the dangers of everything. So I, I never tried any of that stuff. Yeah. So I don't, I, I, I don't really have that, uh, sure. you know, that, that kind of conf internal conflict when I, when my kids become teenagers, I'm not really going to have an internal conflict about it. Sure. Um, so, and, and knowing what I know and seeing what I see and, you know, opening my email up with my coffee in the morning and seeing three, four people overdose overnight. Luckily, they, they didn't pass, but a lot of people do. And the, the only reason they didn't pass because the police got there quickly and did CPR and did all these things to get them back. But it's it's a sad state of affairs. So you, you got to stay in tune with everything your kids are in tune with. I agree. And I think you made such a valid point there. I think, you know, we, we talk about this in some of my support groups um, with some of our fears with, with parenting or mothering. And 
I think in one hand, I come from the generation, like my parents did tell me everything. It wasn't like they didn't, they didn't really sugarcoat anything. It was like, this is either what I've done. This is what I, you know, has happened. I mean, they grew up in the Bronx, right? In the seventies, eighties. <laughs> exactly. And then we moved here when I was like three or four, because my grandmother was not raising children in the Bronx at that time. So we moved to Florida. But anyway, um, I say all that because I kind of grew with that in my mind, even though we didn't live in New York, my father and mother raised me to really kind of have that like hard knock school like this is real this can happen and we struggle because I'm like now I think we're in the generation like do we tell them too much do we not tell them too much how do we you know make them not have the anxiety right because there is a lot going on in the world especially when you add the component of a lot of suicide especially when you add the component of um, the technology the social media um, the unfortunate the mass shootings so there's a lot that I think even we don't even maybe recognize what our children might have to deal with. Um, so I do struggle with that. Like how much do we share? I guess that's age appropriate. So that'll lead me to my next question with you because you are raising eight-year-old children. How do you navigate that where I know for me, if I am having a moment, I have a business and I get an email and I'm like, oh, and then I have to re kind of remove that so I can have a conversation with my son and not be frustrated. Is there a way that you turn it off? How do you then parent when you have a firsthand look at what is going on in your own backyard, how do you compartmentalize all of that? Um, I, I guess there's not really an easy way to do that. Um, my kids obviously know what I do for work. Sure. Uh, you know, after some high profile incidents, did they understand why I changed before I picked them up at school? No, they didn't understand, but that's what I had to do to feel like I wasn't jeopardizing them. Sure. Um, so as, as a mom of, of twins, um, which is why I have all the bags under my eyes all the time, <laughs> they, uh, they, they don't always understand why, well, why isn't mommy coming home? Why is grandma picking us up or something of that nature? And, uh, law enforcement being a first responder, a nurse, a firefighter, all those things are just their careers that consume you. They completely consume you. Um, it's more of a lifestyle than it is a job. Sure. <clears throat> so when you have like a rough day, I'm not going to go home and tell my kids that I saw something heinous at work, but I will go home and go, how much homework do you have? Let's go to the park. And so I do things for them. And also I, I live with someone who's very supportive of my career. So if I have a rough day and I come home and I say, I just need to take a walk, I can do that. And I can tell you from the stuff that you see at work, it's usually not the stuff you see at work. It's the reaction to the stuff you see at work. So, you know, when the um, FBI agents were murdered in Sunrise, um, being at the hospital and seeing the kids get pulled out of school and, and then they're brought into a room being told the worst news of their life, that they lost their mother or their father, like just seeing all that, it just makes you appreciate what you have. And you just really have to have a spirit of gratitude for everything you have, because life could be cut so short, you know, then we see that all the time. So. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for pointing that out, that it's not just law enforcement it's for all the first responders that have to deal with some, like you said, it's a lifestyle, it's something I couldn't even imagine what that would look like to sacrifice every day, knowing, like you said, that, you know, you have to put your life on the line for someone else. Um, in whatever aspect that looks like, and then still come home and parent, right? I I have just the one and he's five. And I tell people all the time, I think the hardest part of motherhood and, and fatherhood, um, I think, or parenting in general is when we're dealing with our own 
S-H-I-T, right? Our own stuff mm -hmm. and, and to the point of trying to say, okay, I try and have honest conversations with my son. I'll even try and say if I had an issue at work and say, yeah, you know what? There was an issue at work and I didn't like something and I had to speak up and I had to say this and we had a conversation just so he starts understanding conflict resolution and things. Um, but yeah, I think the hardest part is dealing with our own stuff, our own things, our own responsibilities that we have, but to your point, you have a responsibility of much more larger um, and then still coming home and having to parent. So, you know, I bow down and I say, thank you for your service in that. Is there anything else as we wind, wind down here, is there anything else that you'd like to share? Anything that you feel a fellow, a fellow parent should know about um, I, I guess one thing that I forgot to mention is uh, when you when you talk to parents that and you ask them like, you know, their kids in their 20s, how did your kid get started on this? Because, mm. you know, we make this assumption that it's a curiosity thing and that they, you know, they went through drug to drug to drug and then here they are, you know, having the substance abuse issue. But um, there was a lot of scenarios when I spoke to people that they said that their kid played sports and, you know, got hurt, had a surgery, they were prescribed something. And uh, basically when you take something um, out in layman terms, and I'm not a neurologist, so, you know, I'm, I'm just a police officer, but uh, <laughs> in layman terms, if you take something that you, that you don't need, then you're creating new pathways to receptors that aren't there, which then they start highlighting, you know, that they need something, which, you know, becomes addiction, obviously. So, uh, they started out maybe by getting um, some type of opioid that was prescribed for a surgery. And then maybe they broke up with their girlfriend and they're like, I don't know how I'm going to sleep. I'm crying my, crying my eyes out. You know, I always slept good with that Oxy or Roxy or whatever yeah. they have. And they take that. And now they create these neural pathways. And then eventually you can't get prescription drugs because now that's obviously very um, monitored and regulated. Uh, and just the things that you think are helpful, like Xanax and, and um, anti-anxiety drugs, they're heavily, heavily addictive. So they're the thing that, you know, if you have to um, get something like that prescribed to your child, you need to monitor when they need it and how they're using it. Mm -hmm. And uh, same with like Adderall, very, very addictive. So everything that has a very good medicinal purpose is only there to be a medicine when you need it and not as a crutch when you are stressed out or you're, you know, suffering anxiety. So looking into like alternative things, you know, if you, if you're aware of yourself and you say, oh, well, your kid has a lot of anxiety or they're depressed, figuring out activities and things like that, that will pull them out of that, like um, mindfulness and breathing, sure. yoga, maybe it's boxing, maybe it's jujitsu, but finding something that they could pour that nervous energy into and get it out of their brains and out of their bodies. And uh, because you can get addicted very easily to almost anything, obviously. So, Oh my God, thank you for that. And that's such a valid point. Cause I think, yeah, a lot of times we think maybe it's just for the expert that they're, which I'm sure there's instances of that obviously where it's experimenting, but also from a lot of cases of people I've heard, um, I do have uh, recovering drug addicts in my family, um, which is, I think we could go down a whole nother pathway, right? When you have it already in your system, when they say that it's, um, genetics uh and it's something to be mindful of but to your points even so if you are aware of that and you do have it in your family and that if something happens that we are monitoring i love that what um 
we are giving our children and maybe finding other ways to kind of get through it as opposed to just relying on the drugs, relying on the drugs, and then they use it as a crutch. And then of course, unfortunately, it falls down that rabbit hole. Um, and if you find a pill or something like that, like maybe in your kid's bag, you can call poison control, just Google poison control, and you read them the numbers that are on that pill. And they'll oh, wow. tell you if it's legitimate or they'll tell you, you know, what legitimately that code goes to. Um, and it might just be an aspirin or an Advil or something like that. And that's great. But, you know, just for your peace of mind that you find a pill, now you know if it's, you know, a Xanax or an Oxycontin or, or whatever the case may be. So you do have options of doing your own recon without, you know, you don't have, it's not a big deal. You don't have to call the police. You find a pill in your, in your kid's backpack. You can kind of do your own little investigation. So you don't have to live in the unknown, I guess. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. If there's, is there anything else you'd like to share? Anything else that you can think of? If not, then um, yeah, go ahead. Um, no, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm very passionate about this, uh, dealing with parents and seeing their loss. And I, and I hope I never have to feel what their loss is, but uh, dealing with that, I, I do have a passion for this. So, you know, we could talk about this all day or, or different threats to our kids, because obviously I'm seeing it all the time. So I'm, hyper aware and trying to figure out is six too early to tell them is seven too early to tell them now they're eight now just uh you know incrementally exposing them to facts and so that you know to dispute whatever they're hearing at school but but i appreciate you um asking the questions that you asked and and highlighting this topic because obviously this is something a lot of parents worry about and deal with Thank you for that. Yeah, no, 100 percent. That's that's the that's the key, right? It's how especially when as much as we can try and be as open as we are here or or maybe not expose them to stuff, but then they go to school, right? And then it's exposed. And I guess that's when you have to make the decision, how much do I say? Um, I remember being scared about having sex to be transparent because I knew someone who died of AIDS. And that was the big thing back in what was that's that, a big 94, thing. back then and forever. I was afraid of having sex up and, you know, I was like, no, or it wasn't even pregnancy. It was knowing that you can die from that. And I was maybe 11 years old, um, which going back maybe was young, but I mean, you, you get exposed, you hear things and you just have to, you know, you just, you just have to work with that. I guess as a parent, right. We just have to try and do the best that we can. So thank you so much, Lynette. I'm sure we will be in touch again. Um, and if there's any topics that you feel that you'd love to come back and share, um, this is what this podcast is for. It's, it's for education. It's for community. It's for connection. So I appreciate you. Thank you for your service and continued blessings to you for love and light and all that you do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their Motherhood Village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.